How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going pretty good. Uh, not not often we record on a Saturday. No, no, this is definitely a weird one for us because it just seems like yesterday that we were sitting here recording on Monday. And yeah, it's a quick turnaround for us. You know, we're back on Saturday, well, early Saturday afternoon here on my my time. It's just, I'll get to, I'll talk a little bit about that as we go into this episode. But no, it is great. And thankfully, I know that this episode will be a lot better than how the Sens play in those afternoon games. Afternoon podcasting just hits differently, though. It do. It do. It do. And you know what also hits differently, Tim, is our cover athlete for today's episode, Season 6, Episode 7, in chronological order, Episode 131, the Anton Forsberg edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So just a little background with Anton Forsberg. He was drafted 188th overall by the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2011. He spent parts of five seasons with three teams, the Columbus Blue Jackets, Chicago Blackhawks, and Carolina Hurricanes, before being claimed off waivers by the Ottawa Senators in March of 2021, and is currently in his third season with the Senators, currently hosting a 4-7-1 record with a 904 save percentage this season. So you know, it's funny, when we're talking about the cover athlete from last week, I did make the mention that I I had a bit of bias towards who we wanted, and neither of those guys won, but <laughs> still, I am very excited that Anton Forsberg won it, because you know what, when talking about the Senators, you know, for all the criticisms that the Sens have received this season, goaltending's really not been one of them, though. I have to say, and it, yeah, Anton For- Forsberg and Cam Talbot have had their shaky starts, but... Overall, I think their goaltending's been pretty solid, all things considered. Honestly, yeah. Other than like the the games we'll talk about this week, where the goaltending for two of them just kind of fell over. Yeah, no, Anton Forsberg and has been great, and he's kind of been a revelation for uh, parts of three seasons for the Ottawa Senators. He has because honestly, goaltending was such a question mark. I know when we landed Matt Murray, it was going to be okay. He's going to be the number one starter. You know, we have Gustafson in the system. We had. Drieger, we had Joey Decord. So it was really more of a okay, if Murray doesn't work out, we're gonna have one guy in the system that's gonna pan out. And all of a sudden, Anton Forsberg comes out of nowhere and single-handedly just steals the job from underneath everybody. Well, yeah, like those injuries mounted up so fast, and then Forsberg played really well in the the COVID shorted the COVID bubble season there. Then he continued to play well into the next season and he's played pretty darn well. Like Forsberg is honestly a breath of fresh air. And I would say that he's probably playing better than Matt Murray is right now, unless Anton Forsberg decides to start dislodging nets too. Oh God. Well, don't tell Toronto that. Come on. They, they all think that they have an elite goaltender. No, no, no. They have a guy who's really good at dislodging the net. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, the the Devils, they had the three goals being called back. And two more in Minnesota? I didn't get a chance to hear, or I should Sorry, there was one more in Minnesota. Was it really? Yeah, the net came off multiple times in the Minnesota game, too. throwing shit on the ice, they were so pissed off. Yeah, no, it's, if it happened, like, honestly, it's happened with such alarming, like, a frequency with Matt Murray that it happens with nobody else in the NHL. Like, you'll see it about maybe once a game maybe once every few games for every other NHL goalie. 
except it's happened to Matt Murray five times in, th- in two games. No, he's doing it intentionally. Even Matt McKenna. So uh, Mike McKenna, former Senators goalie on Twitter was uh, saying during the uh, Minnesota game, he looked at, he kind of got a look at the ice through the uh, camera and it was like, yeah, the way they drilled the pegs in in Minnesota actually did make it a little easier for the net to come off. But the way Matt Murray crashes into the post, he's actually hitting it with his high shoulder, which will pop out the net. Mm-hmm. So well, even if he's not doing it intentionally, you have to coach that out of him because his style is delaying the game. And you can't, like a few times, fine. But if you're going to be a starter in the NHL, that has to be coached out of you. Yeah, because they made a mention that even in the Doc Sens game from yesterday, where the goaltender for Anaheim backed into the net and popped the post off, and they made a, and they made a mention to Mike McKenna. So it's interesting that you brought that up. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, Murray's been one, was one of those guys that you're absolutely right. It needed to, it needs to be coached out of him because at what point? Well, well, here's the thing: if it was any team but Toronto. That's a delay of game penalty right there. If you're intentionally knocking the post, the nets off the the pegs, yeah, that's a delay of game. That's the well, same like way. In most of them, it's like, I'm not sure about the Jersey game. I didn't see it, but in the Minnesota game, yeah, it wasn't intentional. And honestly, if that's the case, Minnesota probably should have won that game because I think Minnesota outplayed Toronto. And you hate to see like, yeah, Toronto gets two wins and Matt Murray didn't even play well against Minnesota. He had a 0.89. Like, that's that's shitty. And honestly, the NHL needs to do something about the Nets coming off. Yeah. Like, I understand you can't go back to the old iron pegs because that's how people just lose their knees. Yeah, could you imagine? Yeah, and Don Cherry always made a mention that years, like 20, 25 years ago. He says, if you want guys to quit crashing the Nets and running into the goaltenders, put those iron pegs back in and watch them run into them then. Yeah. Like that's the thing is you, you can't do that because yeah, that's a great a way to get somebody hurt. So it's like, I wonder if there's a a more artful way to drill the holes for the pegs or like a standardized tool instead of just like a simple drill. Maybe, maybe, I mean, they'll have to figure that out. I, I I do want to make one comment here about the delays of game. The pucks over the glass, honestly, I hate those fucking calls because the glass around the, you know, when you watch how the glass is set up in the ranks, yep. in the offensive zones, there's there's high glass and then it dips. Yeah. You want that penalty gone? Wrap it all around. I That doesn't make any sense. I understand maybe for sight line, maybe that's a thing, but honestly, it's it's it costs teams. It's costing team to team score. Now, sir, go back to Anton Forsberg here. I do agree with you. I mean, he is a breath of fresh air when he came in, and he definitely has, to me anyway, kind of has like those Craig Anderson vibes to him. When when he came to Ottawa, it was kind of a okay. We don't know much about the guy. Let's see what he can do. And Anton Forsberg, I mean, he was a a goal he was a backup in these teams and that's pretty much what we thought he was going to be in Ottawa and then he comes in and just becomes the starter well this is really when i when i think of goalies or voodoo anton forsberg is really what comes to mind as like he played a backup the only thing close to a season that he played was backup to that 
kind of bad 2017, 2018 Chicago team. And he got lit up a bit, but that was also because his team was bad. But And he still gave up more goals than you would expect on that team. But what was interesting is Forsberg's always been very good at stopping wrist shot snapshots and not giving up a lot of rebound. And his rebound control has been pretty good. And what we've seen in Ottawa is he's gotten better at dealing with backhands. And all of a sudden, the slap shot has kind of, like his biggest weakness, which seemed to be the slapper, has just completely gone out of favor in the NHL. So the current NHL is actually quite friendly to Anton Forsberg. Yeah. So Ottawa just literally lucked out. Yeah, well, you know, with slap shots, though, it very much is a roll of the dice whether you're going to hit the net, right? Unless yeah. you're, unless you're Al McInnes or Ray Borker. But I was, was going to say Eric Carlson, but Carlson was always just resting them right from the slot. I think that's why a lot of guys are just doing wrist shots from the point because one, you you reduce the risk of actually hitting Missing. somebody's face. Yeah. And two, you get more accuracy off it. So I understand. And three, you don't need as much time. Because like you in the modern NHL, defenses are so fluid and efficient that if you, if they see you winding up, that puck's gone. Yeah. Like unless, it's on someone else's stick. Yeah, unless it's a one-timer. Like that's basically the only time you really get to bring out the slappers one-timer on the penalty. Sorry, one-timer on the power play. So one final comment I want to make about Anton Forsberg his setup the pads the blocker the glove that's a sharp look though man that's just such a sharp the the white the red and the gold is it drip he's got some drip to him yeah i'm feeling it man i'm feeling it all he's missing is the chain that's all he's missing now bear actually can we quickly talk about this how the ottawa senators went from the bike helmet to the chain and now they got the goggles none of that stuff was working man i mean if we're the Ottawa Senators, we're freaking Centurion. You think we get the Centurion helmet on? Or maybe they just had everyone uh, DJ's Amex. Yeah. Oh, they're definitely doing that tonight. <laughs> Last night, I should say, they're, they're in Anaheim. I wonder if Anaheim's a low-key, okay party city. Because you know, everybody thinks about a- LA being a great party city. What if Anaheim is kind of low-key? Because it's close enough to LA. <laughs> And it's got Disney. Well, the hard thing with those cities is like LA, Anaheim, Torrance, Long Beach, they all kind of run together. And I think most people, yeah, when they think party, they think LA, they think Long Beach. They, a little bit of Orange. Well, Orange County is more rich old people. So it's like the parties you're not invited to. But yeah, I could see Anaheim being low key fun. I think so. I think so. Maybe because in, in Orange County, it's. It's a more of a quieter. It's not like LA where LA is very bombastic. Anaheim and Orange County is more of a more laid back sort of. Yeah. yeah. Irvine's the same way. Yeah. Like I have friends who live in Torrance and I have friends who live in Irvine and uh, Red Lions and stuff. Like I have a surprising amount of friends from the LA area, but yeah, it's funny because it's yeah. Like LA is definitely the bombastic one. Like Chelsea, Chelsea and I were talking about like Pepsi on the way from a hotel to the convention center for anime expo and some guy just is like yo that pepsi sounds awesome we're just like yeah okay we're also like walking to the convention center one day and uh this woman with her kids and we're in costume and uh this woman with her kids in her car just stops in the middle of figurora it's like hey where are y'all going uh the convention center oh is that for that anime thing yeah 
What's it, Ed? Tomorrow. Oh, I might have to go. Have fun. And just drives off. (laughs) Okay. I guess this is just how this is. (laughs) Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, it's like, I've never been hollered at before until I went to L.A. And I was just like, okay, I guess this is just how it works. Because, like, yeah, Canada is just so much more reserved compared to that. Yeah. You know what's funny? Like, when I was over in the UK this summer, I found that, you know, because with Glasgow and Edinburgh, you have, like, Edinburgh being this very big city, and Glasgow is more like the blue-collar city. And I found that in Glasgow... They were very like open and friendly in Edinburgh. They're kind of like Canada, which is kind of like more reserved. That makes any sense? Yeah. No, I found yeah, and when I was in Edinburgh, I remember it being uh, pretty reserved. Yeah. Well, I, I remember we were at a sweet shop on Princess Street. And I wore a, my Sen shirt, which Katrina ended up stealing, but that's not the point. But anyway, <laughs> so we're in a sweet shop, and I have my Sen shirt on, and there's this guy kind of looking at me, and he looks at me, and he goes, "You guys are gonna have a good team this year," and I was like. Excuse me, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm from Saskatoon." I was like, "Oh, fucking right on! You're Canadian." You'd be surprised where you find people who recognize things. Like, yeah, I've I've told the story of me going up Tokyo Tower wearing a Sen shirt. I love that. By the way, I love that article you sent me about the the oh, Prodesu on the on the no, it wasn't Chosobu. No, it was the Kurui line in Chiba. Yeah, they want people to ride that line more, so. I would have people fight on the train. Why not? No, I mean, well, like I said, right? Like the street fights in Japan with wrestling, it's it's pretty, fairly common anyway. Wait, were we talking about hockey? Let's get we're back. We're talking about Anton Forsberg. Yeah, Anton Forsberg. And yeah, I like the setup. It's a good setup. Now, the toughest thing about talking about Anton Forsberg, Tim, is that we would be delaying the inevitable of announcing next week's cover athlete. And let me tell you, this gentleman here for season six, episode eight in Crawling Shore, episode 132, one of the toughest NHL players of all time, the original Razor, Sugar Rob Ray is our cover athlete for that, which is funny because he played very long for the Senators. He was, he very much just kind of came. I think he only played, I don't even think he played 15, 20 games. I think he played roughly about that over two years. Who was he up against? Uh, who the fuck was it? Philip Gustafson and Chris Drieger. Okay, I'm not surprised because, like, neither Goose nor Drieger really had... Well, I guess Drieger had a decent run with the Senators, but I was like, none of these guys really left a big dent on the organization now that, now that I think about it. Yeah. Well, neither did Rob Ray, but he made a big dent in the NHL, especially with people's faces, and that one fan that jumped the glass and jumped into the bench. <laughs> But we'll talk about that on next week's episode, Tim. But Tim, I think we should turn our attention and we should talk a little bit about our week because it's been an all right week. Can't complain. Yeah. Did you get up to much or? I didn't get up to too much. I did mention before we hit record that I got my girlfriend a soda stream for her birthday. Her birthday's on Monday. She's always wanted one. So I was like, okay, fuck it. I'll just go out and get it. One thing she's been doing, though, she's she's got into the habit of making old fashions. Mm-hmm. Because when we were in the UK, we went on the Johnny Walker tour, and they were making us highballs and 
stuff like that. But at the end of the tour, they're like, okay, so what do you want for your drink? And we're looking at the menu. You're like, oh, how about an old fashioned? And they, the nice thing about the John Walker, I, I've talked about the Johnny Walker tour. So basically they, they made it to your palate. So basically there was like smoky, there was tropical, there was fresh, there was whatever kind you want. And I was a fresh. So yeah. mine was like Johnny Walker, I believe it was Green Label. I think it was Green Label with soda water and lavender. Oh, it was pretty wow. good. So Katrina's gotten into making those. And actually, hopefully I'll get to go over to her place tonight and she'll make me one. So that should be good. Actually, one thing I do want to ask him. We were talking a little bit about this before we hit record. Have you got a chance to watch any of the World Cup in Qatar? Yeah, I watched a Canada game where they just they really outplayed Belgium. Then they could only get the one goal in and then penalties happen, right? And Belgium, Canada, tie one one. And then I watched probably the funniest game of the World Cup. The zero zero draw between England and the United States. So where James Corden. Pardon? Who gets James Corden out of that? Because there was that. I thing. heard that uh, the compromise is that we're stuck with him. I've also seen people say who gets Piers Morgan or who gets Meghan Markle. That's true. That's a good point. And the game, yeah, the game ended a tie. So uh, they're stuck where they are right now. Uh, we'll have to wait for if these teams meet later in the tournament. Uh, the game was also just very funny because like England came out. And they just didn't really play well because the Americans were kind of felt like the Americans were just running circles around them. But like the USMNT is just very, it's a very athletic team. Yeah. The U S team, they've come a long way, man. Like when you think of just where they were at one time and here they are and they're just like, it's like Canada. Canada's the exact same way. Cause you have like a guy like Alfonso Davies and some of these young Canadians coming up. And it's great to see, man. Yeah, didn't Alfonso Davies just sign with Celtic? Alfonso? I think he was with Bayern Munich, but I can quickly... Oh, okay. No, who's the one who signed? There was a Canadian player who just signed with Celtic. You know what? Good question. Let me have this look. Let me have a look up here, Tim. Celtic FC. Because honestly, it would be really cool if Canada won it. For me, I haven't got a chance to watch any of these games. Just Alistair because... Johnston. Alistair Johnston. Well, Christ, with a name like that, he's going to fit great. And... <laughs> uh, let's see here. Yeah. Alistair Johnston. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's definitely going to be a Scottish name for sure. But no, it's very cool. And what I think is really funny is like I'm reading a lot of the stuff on Twitter about this game, about the tournament right now, especially of how much of a shit show it is right now in Qatar with FIFA being there because... FIFA and Qatar had that agreement that because Qatar is a dry country, you weren't allowed to sell alcohol, yeah. but they had an agreement in place that you could sell it during games. Then two days before it, Qatar's like, ah, fuck you. Yeah, and that was all, all because uh, they felt FIFA was a bit too limp-wristed with uh, some of the uh, LGBT protests that teams were trying to do. So like the USA team, for instance, had the shirt emblem that replaced the the stars and stripes sorry the stripes on the usa logo with pride flag and a, a bunch of european teams wore the want to wear have their captains wear a rainbow armband 
Mm-hmm. And Qatar's like, Lamo, no. And there goes your booze sales. Yeah. Who was and, it? Belgium was was it Belgium or that had the their white jersey that had the I think it was Belgium. And then the FIFA said, yeah, enough of that. Yeah, it turns out that uh, FIFA likes money. No, no. FIFA liking money. Oh, God, don't say it's not true, Tim. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, yeah, but also, man, those stadiums are empty. eh? Then again, who the hell wants to go to Qatar? You know what? Before they won that, I probably 100%. I probably couldn't even have pointed out Qatar on a map. Well, it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, I'm not sure how much of the haha they take your passport stuff is real, but it's like the government does enough. The Qatari government does enough shit that I would not feel comfortable traveling there, especially with, with Chelsea. I, I just wouldn't go. Yeah. hundred percent. It's like some of these countries that are under the, those dictatorships. It's yeah. just, fuck, I wouldn't want to go to those countries. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, God. No, that tournament, though, is going to be one of those things that uh, one of my supervisors, he's actually from England, and he and I were talking about the World Cup, and he's picking Brazil as his favorite to win it. I would not be surprised if it's a South American country that wins it, but honestly, I, I've i never been really a football fan or a footy fan, I should say. So for me, it's like, I don't really have any allegiances to any. I want America to win because it would be very funny. People would be very mad. I love the, when they were playing England, they had the, it's called soccer. <laughs> Although I think it would have been awesome if in the stands, all you hear is America, fuck yeah. You you got like, there was a lot of USAs that people started singing America the Beautiful. Like that was the fun thing is like you did have people try to break out God Save the Queen. And I think that one got, sorry, God Save the King. King now, different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that one got shouted down with USAs. And there was just some, at the end when they, it was finally the, they reported the tie. I think it was Universal Mundo, uh, one of the stations down in the US who was carrying the game. They panned down on this one dude who was wearing this giant sombrero that just had USA around the brim. It's like, that man loves America. Yeah, well, wasn't it when... Was it when Tokyo had the Olympics? You and Chelsea were thinking of going over, and you wanted to watch the American basketball because you had a whole suit picked out for it. Yeah, because I wanted to watch like the uh, Japanese player just get absolutely dunked on, right? Because that's the only way they'd ever be allowed in the tournament. And then I couldn't go anyway. I don't know. You were rip. Upset. Question though, because of the World Cup in twenty twenty six. They're going to have the number of team or number team, number of cities hosting it in North America. I understand they're not going to be in Calgary or Edmonton, but would you fly to either Vancouver or Toronto to go watch one of those games? Maybe. Yeah. It Could would be fun. Who do you think would get like the big, big countries in that, like England and Germany and Italy and France? Like, what cities do you think would get those? Or do you, it depends probably on what? I think uh, probably New York. Probably Washington, D.C., probably Mexico City. Washington, eh? Yeah, they have a massive soccer stadium there, right? No, no, I know that. I'm just kind of surprised because I was thinking, like, New York, definitely, I would see. L.A., I would definitely see because they have uh, SoFi Stadium. Right. Vegas, I think, I might be wrong. I think Vegas is hosting a couple of the games. 
I could see Vegas as like a pool F city, like a group F city. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that Vancouver and Toronto would get like. Vancouver, I could see Toronto getting some good ones because where are they hosting it? They've got like five or six cities. I think venues. Let's see. We have uh, Mexico City. New York, New Jersey, Dallas, Kansas City, Houston, L.A., Atlanta, Philly, Seattle, Boston, San- SFO, Miami, Vancouver. Oh, D.C.'s not hosting it. Why did I think D.C. was one of the cities? That would make a lot of sense. I mean, because in D.C., correct me if I'm wrong here, Tim, but don't they have a lot of the... Uh, fuck, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, they have the stadium for the Redskins. Sorry, Washington Football Club. You mean the Commanders? The Commanders. Yeah, dude, they're not going to play a FedEx field. There's no way they're going <laughs> to fucking dog shit of a stadium. I was they're playing at Gillette. Um, God, what the hell is that word I'm thinking of now? It's the uh, the delegates? Is that what I'm thinking of? Right. Yeah, you know, like when you go to other countries and stuff and they have the, uh, you know, like other countries that have the representative housing was whatever. Right, yeah. Actually, the Canadian ones probably aren't going to get like the big, big stuff because like their BMO field hat is going to be expanded to forty five thousand, and BC Place is forty is fifty four thousand. Yeah, it doesn't need to be expanded at all. No, so but it's like they're two of the four smallest venues, right? With the biggest venue actually being Mexico Mexico City's Estadio Azteca, followed by MetLife. Yeah, well, I know the one in Mexico City, they just hosted the 49ers there. It's a huge stadium. Last week or the week prior. And I love the fact because their tight end, George Kittle, caught a touchdown. And in the end zone, there was, a, I think, El Penta, El Punta. He's an AEW wrestler. And I was like, that's Punta. Love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it'll be interesting to see uh, games played in SoFi. Yeah, when well, that's built, because well, so it's gonna be, what, which is the new one they're building in LA? I think that's the one for the Clippers. I think they're building right. Um, yeah, because I think that's yeah, because the Lakers would take Crypto Center, where the hell it's called, where the Staples, the Staples yeah. Center, and I think the Clippers would have their own arena in. Not it wouldn't be Anaheim near LA anyway. Let me have a look here. LA Clippers new arena. Oh, it's located south of SoFi. Yeah, it will be the future home of the LA Clippers of the National Basketball moving from crypto.com arena into it. Oh, Inglewood. Yeah, it's in Inglewood, California. Hmm. Okay. Anyway. Well, actually, I didn't realize Arrowhead Stadium was so big. Yeah, I think it's the biggest. I might be wrong. I think it's the biggest open air stadium in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. I think, yeah. Lumen Field is, I wouldn't say Lumen Field's pretty close. Lumen Field's got 72, so. But they are nothing compared to some of those college football stadiums in the States. Holy yeah. fuck, dude. Like Ohio sorry. State, they play in a stadium that's like 110,000 seats. I'm surprised like OSU isn't on there. Oh, and they're playing in like 
they're playing in Gillette. Although at least I guess it's not as bad as FedEx. Oh God, no! Gillette Stadium is so much better than FedEx Field. But FedEx Field's not even twenty. Sorry, it's barely twenty. Yeah, but that building is falling apart. Something huge. If you look at any of their like for the Commanders, some of the Twitter posts and stuff that they have like sewage leaking on them during games and shit's just falling apart. It's and Dan Snyder's just putting no money into it. Right. Because apparently, apparently Baltimore was part of the bid. Yeah, it's the MTNT Stadium. You know what I'm really no, you said Dallas, right? Yeah, they have AT&T. That's what I was going to say. AT&T Stadium. That would be amazing for them. You get the Cowboy Stadium. Holy. Well, you get both AT&T and NRG in Houston. Yeah. Is New Orleans on? I don't think you said New Orleans. The the Superdome would be a a decent. They've always had the Super Bowl there. Actually, which Miami Stadium? Oh, they're using Hard Rock in Miami. Yeah. Did you ever hear, I guess when they reconstructed... The Hard Rock Stadium. Basically, what they did is that they did something to fuck with the away fans, or the no the away fans, the away team. Yeah. So basically, if you ever watch a Dolphins game and you ever notice that there's shade on one side of the field but not the other, <laughs> the shade on the side of the field that's the Dolphins. So the away fans are in the heat, or the away teams in the heat in dark jerseys. That was a deliberate choice by the Dolphins. Oh, that's that's awful. That's just awful. Wow. Yeah. So I think we should also talk a little bit about last week's episode, Tim. Now, I'm going to, I probably said this on the show already, is that I think because usually with these previous episodes we talk about, it's always, it's an episode that happened. But man, did we get fired up on last week's episode. Oh, yeah. That last game. I mean, it's a 5 1 loss, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a 5-1 loss. So, yeah, I think that we should... We'll definitely say the previous episode thing if we have something to say about the episode. Because, honestly, it's just filler at that point. There's nothing included. Yep. No, let's get rid of the extra calories then. Exactly. But one thing we are not going to get rid of, Tim, is this segment of this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Segway. That was not like bad. That, like that, that was clean. That was clean. I like it. I'm getting better the last couple of weeks, I've noticed. I've always tried to have a clean segue into it, and sometimes it's not so seamless, but you know, this time it was seamless. Now, unfortunately, Tim, you know, with top of the air, and I always mention this every time we have to talk about it. We have a death to talk about. And of course, on last season of Third Line Plug, we talked about Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman Boring Salming was diagnosed with ALS. And unfortunately, this past week, he lost his battle at the age of 71. Salming played 17 seasons in the NHL with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Detroit Red Wings, recording 150 goals, 637 assists for 787 points in 1,148 games, while being the first European inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1996. You know, Excuse me, when talking about boring solving, Tim, it's almost that I feel that as we've gone along in our history since he's retired, boring solving's contribution to the game seems to be 
kind of overlooked at times because of the fact he doesn't have a lot of hardware. He didn't win a Stanley Cup. But the fact is his contributions to the NHL are huge because boring Salming walked. So guys like Nicholas Lidstrom, like Victor Hedman, like Eric Carlson can run in the NHL. Yeah, and that really is what it is. It's the firsts are pretty important. And uh, and it also really opened the door. Like once the Swedes started coming over, you started to get like Russians started to get interested as well and Finns and all the. So, yeah, it's kind of incredible. It really is. And we're talking about, and you know, it's funny because now in the NHL, Russians and Swedes and Finns and whatever, like they're commonplace in the NHL. And you look around the NHL, there's so many little superstars. But at there was a time in history where NHL teams never took a chance on these guys. It wasn't until the WHA came along in the early 70s, because like, they were the first pro league in North America that took a chance on these teams because they figured out, wow, you go to Sweden, you go to Finland, you go to these places. There's a gold mine of players here that we're not getting. And even with Boring Salming, the only reason Toronto signed him is because the late Harold Ballard was in jail. Because Harold <laughs> Ballard would never have signed him. He was in jail. Boring Salming got signed, and he comes over to the NHL and just proves that Swedish players can come over and be great in the NHL. And the same with when the Stasny brothers came over in the 80s when the first wave of the Russian guys prior to the McGillinies and Burrays and Federos coming over, they figured out, like, wow, these guys are incredible. But then you have guys like... Matt Sundin coming over, like Nicholas Sturgeon coming over, like Peter Forsberg. And you noticed not only can these guys play well, but they can survive and they thrive in this NHL. Yeah. Like Daniel Alfredson too, right? Yep. Yeah. And I think it, yeah, it just took a few guys to really open people's eyes, like to what Swedish players can do. And yeah, I think at least in Canada, like Matt Sundin and the Sedine twins really did a lot to kind of put Swedish hockey on the map, but yeah, they couldn't have done that without uh Born Salming. Yeah. Now we're going to move away from talking about Born Salming, Tim, and talking about a current NHL superstar defenseman, Colorado Avalanche defenseman, Kale McCarr, who came the first defenseman in NHL history to record 200 points in under 200 games. McCarr, drafted fourth overall by Colorado in 2017, have recorded five goals, 15 assists for 20 points in 17 games for Colorado at the time of the story. I swear, I would have never guessed that Kale McCarr would become the first guy to get 200 points in under two in games as a defenseman. Because it, when you think of the defenseman, you think, okay, that's pretty cool. But then you really think about it and you're like, wait, there hasn't been a guy who's done it? I always thought that like someone like Brian Leach would have done that. Or Bobby Orr. Or Ray Bork. Yeah. Like, that or, is what or, is legitimately surprising. Coffee. Like, I'm surprised that you think of these superstar defensemen that transformed the game, that none of these guys hit it. And then you have Kale McCard that comes up, and he's just taken the league by storm. I mean, he's the most explosive defenseman in the NHL today. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, for he, sure. He comes up, and now it's just like, yeah, he took that record. And you know what? He fell into Colorado's lap. Yeah. Because the Avalanche, that 2017 team, and we've talked about this when they won the cup this past spring, 
you look at how bad that team was. They were in competition to land the number one pick, and they lost. But it's one of those things where even though you lose the draft, you get the be- you get one of the best players in the draft. Well, that 2017 draft, it was Nico Heischer that went first? Yep. Yeah, it was Heischer, and then the big what-if with his Nolan Patrick. Yeah, it's a matter of what if he wasn't injured. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, Kale McCarr has been the best player out of that draft. Well, it's kind of like how Tim Stutzla may very well be the best player out of the 2020 draft. I know. And he fell into our laps, too, because both the Rangers... Well, the Rangers obviously weren't going to not take Lafreniere. L.A. was kind of the wild card. Would they have taken Byfield? Would they have taken Stutzla? I think we would have been happy at the time if we'd landed... Quinton Byfield, yeah. Byfield. But the fact that they took Byfield and we landed Stutzla, because Stutzla, he was a constellation prize in all of this. Yeah. It's funny how... Like... Even with all the attention that we that scouts put on these players, at the end of the day, it is there's still uncertainty, right? Exactly. God, Kale McCarr is so good. So let's move our attention to Boston Bruins captain Patrice Bergeron, who became the 94th player in NHL history to record 1,000 points. Bergeron, drafted 45th overall by the Boston Bruins in 2003, recorded nine goals, nine assists for 18 points in 19 games for the Bruins at the time of the story. Talk about another draft that really you look at back on the 2003 draft and it's kind of a, it's a very hard thing to say. Like, wow, all the talent, like who really would have been the best player out of that draft? Because you had Flurry coming out of that. You had Eric Stahl coming out of that. You had Jeff Carter, Mike Richards, Parise, Shea Weber, Bergeron. I mean, go down the list. That first round, go through those those players and be like, wow, like, those guys are going to be in it. Like, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff came out of that draft. It's just like, holy fuck, dude. Well, even guys like Milan McCulloch, Ryan Suter, Dion Phaneuf. Hey, he had some good years. Though. He had some good years, and Milan McCulloch probably would have better years if he wasn't injured. Same with Thomas. Thomas Vanek played a thousand games. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's just a lot of players here who all had very esteemed careers. Nathan Horton is another what if. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he didn't put up good numbers when he was healthy, but I think at the time, especially when he got injured, it sunk his career right then and there. Yeah, like imagine if he never suffered quite that injury. Yeah, well, sorry, I'm just looking at the 2003 draft right here. Yeah, Fleury, Stahl, Horton, Vanico's fifth, McCulloch's sixth. Suter, Fanuf, Andre Constitson, Jeff Carter, Dustin Brown, Brent Sabre. Braden Coburn. <laughs> Dustin, yeah. Rob. Zach Rize, Ryan Getzlaff, Brent Burns, Ryan Kessler, Mike Richards, Corey Perry. Those are all first names. Those are first round names right there. Yeah, Brian Boyle and Patrick and Patrick Eves too, right? Yeah, but then you, you had the second round. You had, well, Louis Erickson had some good years. Yeah, then you have some, well, Bergeron, like I said. I mean, you had some great players. And Josh Hennessy went in the second round. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, but no, Patrice Bergeron. Well, David Backus went in that second round as well, right? Jimmy yeah. Howard, too. 
Yeah, it's an awesome goal. Mark MacArthur in the third. Dan Carcillo went in the third round of that draft as well. Like a lot of, and then yeah, Jan Hayda went in the, Jan Hayda and Kyle Quincy in the fourth, Lee Stepniak in the fifth, and Brad Richardson. That was a deep draft. Yeah, just like every, you throw a rock, you hit a guy that either played a thousand games, won cups. But when talking about Patrice Bergeron, I'm I'm kind of surprised, to be perfectly honest, that he hasn't already hit a thousand points in his career. The very weird thing about Bergeron is he's a player who's actually gotten better with age. Yeah, he's never messed a step. Like even when he was a rookie, he came. No, in- what I am saying is it is bizarre that he is a more effective player at age 37 than he was at age 30. Yeah, but some players are like that, though. Some players can very, very few, very few. But those are the players that you look at and you're like, holy shit. Like, what's going on with this guy? Right now, when talking about Patrice Bergeron, Tim, there's one moment I always go back to. Now, back in 2020, the NHL released their top moments of the 2010s. You may recall that we talked about that during the top VR. <laughs> yep. You might recall that Patrice Bergeron made that list, Tim. Can you guess which moment I'm talking about? Uh, Something, something. How did the Leafs screw that up? Yes. For this occasion, though, Tim, I did something very special. Okay. I brought in a clip. Let's hit it. Marshawn to Bergeron, the drive save, rebound is loose, Sagan kicks it loose, Bergeron scores! I'm not going to lie to him. I have heard that clip so many times and I still love it. Just inject it right into the veins, man. And it's funny because like Jack Edwards, he's one of those guys. He's, he is such a Bruins homer. Like there's no two ways about that. <laughs> but that's got to be a call that every hockey fan, unless you're for Toronto, that everybody looks at be like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, it's just so much passion about something just completely absurd that happened, right? Yeah, because I remember when that happened. I remember the Leafs went up 4-1. I turned the game off, went to Walmart, and I come back, and I think it was 4-3, and I was like, what the fuck? 4-3. I turned it on. The Bruins tied it, then the Bruins won it in OT, and I was like, oh. Oh, Toronto. Hey, it's okay. Phil Kessel got his cups. It's true. And he became the man list. Yeah. So good, man. So good. Now we're going to move over. Now we're going to talk about another guy who hit a thousand, but not in points, but in games. Pittsburgh Penguins forward Evgeny Malkin played in his 1000 NHL game. Malkin dropped a second overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2004 and spent his entire career with the Penguins recording 452 goals, 714 assists for 1,166 points while winning three Stanley Cups in 2009, 2016, and 2017. And winning the Calder Trophy's Rookie of the Year in 2007, two Art Rollers Trophies in 2009 and 2012, the Hart and Lindsay Award in 2012, and the Consmith Trophy as Playoff MVP in 2009. Imagine getting all of those trophies and still not being the best center on your team. 
And I was going to say that too. Like you have that whole stat line and you're just the other guy on that team. But like Malkin was a core part of those teams. And especially as Malkin's health started to falter, you really wondered like if Malkin retires, is this the, is this the end of the Penguins dominance? It has to be. It has to be. I mean, once Crosby and Malkin are gone, the Penguins have to go into a full rebuild now. Like, they have no choice. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they continue to cruise on uh, the Donk Flibbits and uh, Mark, sorry, the Mark Donk and Buzz Flibbits of the world. Like, just absolutely wonky shit. Very much so. But Evgeny Malkin's one of those guys that, it's funny because with how beloved Crosby is in Pittsburgh, it, Malkin in every way will always be the number two guy. He was the Yager to Mario. He yeah. was that guy. And I think if if Malkin had played on any other team, you would be debating, is Malkin on the same level as Crosby? Yeah, I could see that. In just the same way that you, you have the Ovechkin-Crosby rivalry that we've kind of honed in on its uh, final steps in the last two, three seasons of third line plug. I know. And I, we always talk about it, man. It's hard to believe it's come to this point, but Evgeny Malkin, I'm actually very surprised that the Penguins have been able to keep both him and Crosby, especially because they've played under the salary cap for so long, but you got to tip your hat to Pittsburgh because talk about a team that figured out how to utilize the salary cap. It's not like when you look at Toronto where they just throw money at guys and they expect to win. The Penguins had to be smart because, you know, you have Crosby, you're not going to let him walk, but you have a set budget now that every team's going to work with. You've got to figure out how to maintain and win cups. Yeah. It seems like them, Chicago, and LA were the only real big three teams that figured that shit out. Tampa Bay, excuse me. Tampa Bay now. But years ago, when the salary cap was still sort of a newer thing. Actually, Vancouver did a pretty good job with it. Yeah, it's true. But I'm talking about teams that ended up winning cups, right? And when you think of it, Tampa Bay definitely. And I'd say Boston did very well with it. Yeah, it's true. But Boston, they have one cup to prove it out of this. They have one cup, sure. But they were never out of the conversation. Basically, yeah. For the entire existence of the salary cap, they've always been in the conversation. That is impressive. Yeah. I mean, I was more thinking. And they've always been like the this team could go deep part of the conversation. No, no, I get that. But I was I was thinking more of the teams that became the absolute juggernauts that won more than two cups. Right. Fair. But then I don't think that's really and then it's also not really fair to exclude Tampa from that either, because Tampa was always in and around that conversation for the last 10 years, right? I think it's just really important to kind of recognize what teams have been consistently good over that time, like consistently done well in the playoffs while managing that roster effectively. And uh, to knock out Tampa and Boston from that conversation, I don't think is correct. And even the Rangers to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's a good point. As you can tell, like my arguments completely falling, completely fell apart. It's like, like San Jose is an interesting case because they were pretty good at managing it, and then it just kind of fell apart. 
Yeah, because they fell in the same trap Chicago did, which is you're going to throw all your money at the guys who won you your cups. Now, fair enough. Well, fair enough. The other one is Carlson. That Carlson trade really handcuffed them. Yeah. I think I... Carlson was going to get that money regardless. He's going to get that money, but it didn't have to be from San Jose. They had that one run. They had that one very nice run with Carlson, and then they lost a lot of guys as a result. Yeah, I think if they won the cup that year, it would have been awesome. But it would have been awesome, and I think at the time you could sort of kind of justify it years after the fact. But the fact is. You're right. It's handcuffed the Sharks, and the Sharks are now having to rebuild. And now it's, okay, well, who's going to take Carlson now? Yeah. Ottawa. Well, they yeah. already got rid of uh, Brent Burns. Yep. And Pavelski. And, well, Pavelski was probably the big thing that sunk the Sharks, let's be honest. Look look at him in Dallas. Yep, and they were able to keep Logan Couture. Losing Pavelski. And not really having a great center other well, you have Hurdle, but Hurdle and Couture, but yeah, losing Pavelski was big. It was Tim, it was. The Pittsburgh Penguins and Boston Bruins have unveiled their official jerseys for the 2003, excuse me, 2023 Winter Classic at Fenway Park. Okay, so I I only have one comment to make here, Tim. Yeah. The Penguins ones are interesting because Pittsburgh had an NHL team in the 1920s. The Pirates. That's the inspiration right there. Yep. That's a very interesting look because in these winter classics or outdoor games or whatever you want to call it with the Penguins, the Penguins have paid tribute to other Pittsburgh teams. I I can't recall which one. I can't recall which game they played in. But their jerseys were modeled after the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. It's just a shame that there's another Pittsburgh Pirates team that you kind of have to think about. Well, you don't have to think about them. It's probably better that we don't, honestly. Yeah. God, they're... Pirates are so bad. How are they perennially bad? I'm not sure. It's... It's kind of like how the Mariners were just like absolute garbage for a very long time. Yeah. It's like, then, it almost feels like you have to try. Yeah. So by the way, so I brought that up. I mean, yeah, that's what they're paying homage to. It's a very interesting look. And I will, I'll admire the Penguins for doing that. The Bruins one's just kind of. Well, you've said your, you've said your bit on the bear. Yeah. Yeah, I've said about the the, the Pooh Bear jerseys. I no, don't like them. I don't know. I think with these outdoor game jerseys, and I, I've always been kind of a critic about them because you look at them and it's, I don't know, a lot of them just don't hit for me. Fair. A couple of them do. And when, the, and when they do hit, they look fantastic. But only a handful of teams have fully been able to do that. I do think... The Sens were one of those teams. I will commend Toronto because their their outdoor gym jerseys were actually kind of cool. The arenas the ones are just the Habs ones. The arenas jerseys were kind of weird. Yeah, the Toronto arena jerseys were kind of weird. But yeah, I don't have much to say about this, Tim. 
Honestly, I, other than the Penguins comment, that's all I got to make. No, that's fair. I guess, like, my big issue with the a lot of these uh, outdoor jerseys is they kind of look the same. Yeah, I mean, with some of these teams, because it's always the same teams. It's always Pittsburgh. It's always Boston. It's always Washington. It's always Chicago, Detroit, whatever. But I, I do, I would like to see these teams go outside the box and maybe pay on, like, because they're playing in football stadiums. They're playing in baseball stadiums. Why not honor the teams that play there by modeling your jersey after theirs? That would be an interesting look. I mean, the Blackhawks, if they if they played, I think they probably played a game at Soldier Field. But if they did one that looks like the Bears, like do it in, I don't know. I don't think the Bear colors would look good, the dark blue and orange, but it would be kind of neat. It would be kind of a neat try to pay homage to it a little bit try to figure out something different right and if minnesota plays an outdoor game although i guess their football stadium there is indoor no they did they played at the uh target field yeah target isn't target field an indoor field no 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 i think target field's an outdoor no because that was the one where fans were getting frostbite right yeah and then dress up like the vikings that could be cool. It's true, man. It's true. Now, we only got one signing to talk about, Tim. Carolina Hurricanes goaler, Peter Kochikev. Kochikev? K-O-C-H-E-T-K-O. Peter Kochikov. Okay. To a four-year, $8 million contract. Said player, because I'm not going to butcher his name again. Drafted 36th overall by the Carolina Hurricanes in 2019. Have recorded a 2-1-2 and record with a .908 save percentage in five games for Carolina this season. Who? I guess they think highly of this guy. He played three games in the season last year and four playoff games. And he's his minor league, so came in from the KHL. Uh, played quite well in the KHL. Played very well in with the Chicago Wolves mm-hmm. and is playing pretty well Carolina this season. Five games, 2.2 goals against, and a 0.91 save percentage. So they think they've got something here. That's all I can really say about that, Tim. Now, unfortunately, Tim, we don't have an Ottawa Senator story to close off top of the hour, Tim. However, we do have a trade to talk about. The Minnesota Wild have acquired forward Ryan Reeves from the New York Rangers in exchange for a 2025 fifth round pick reeve had recorded 12 penalty minutes in 12 games for the rangers this season what has ryan reeves done in new york i don't know i remember like the rangers were like they got uh tom wilson and their immediate reaction was to bring in ryan reeves and i think they traded they traded pretty heftily to get him to punch faces and then he just didn't really play hockey from them from all what i remember yeah because remember i think at one time we were ottawa was actually in the mix for ryan reeves back in the day when he were being traded yeah i'm glad that we didn't get him because like the guy just doesn't do anything he's an offensive black hole can't really play defense yeah he's a relic of a time that no longer exists now where basically he's an enforcer that can't really do anything else other than fight yeah, and well, it's like, the guy's also 35. How many faces is he really going to punch? Yeah, because, I mean, 
enforcers are no longer a thing. Power forwards are hardly even a thing anymore, other than Brady and a few other players. But yeah, like Brady and Matthew are really all that's left. And it's so weird because like Ryan Reeves really is. He really is kind of the last of the breed, and he came into the NHL at a time where even the last of the enforcers were already kind of out the door. He didn't have the hockey chops to back him up like Chris Neal did. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the air for this week, which means only one thing. It's time to talk about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Sharks, Sens versus the Golden Knights, and the Sens versus the Ducks. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Sharks. This is a 5-1 to one Sharks victory. The lone Sens goal was scored by Tim Stutzla. What happened to the DJ horn thing? Oh, it's still in there. It's still in there, but the... Yeah. I left it out. Now, I said to you before we hit record, I moved the mic back, so hopefully that picks it up. Because believe me, I can't tell when we're recording this whether it picks it up or not. But anyway, Sharks goes to score by Noah Grieger, Timo Meyer, Matt Nito, Thomas Hurdle, and Logan Couture. Shots for 38-31 for Ottawa. Noah Grieger opens the score to make it one thing Sharks in the slot. Tim Stutzla gets Ottawa on the board to tie the game at one. Timo Meyer scores to make it 2-1 Sharks. Matt, excuse me, Matt Nito scores to make it 3-1 from the point. Thomas Hurdle tips one. Tips in the Couture shot from the slot to make it 4-1. And Logan Couture scores to make it 5-1 Sharks, which would be the final. So I condensed watch this game. Now, when I say I condensed it, I'm kind of lying because I was editing last week's episode when this game was on because the Sens were on the West Coast. I only got a chance to watch the first period. And the thing is for me, Tim, if you judged this game from the first period – you would have looked at the score and been like, how in the hell did we lose five to one? Yeah. That that first period and the third period too were just exercises of dominance by the Ottawa Senators. That second period was just, I don't, the team just kind of disappeared. Like admittedly, it didn't help that uh, some things happened. Yeah, the only thing I really remember from this game was Eric Carlson blew, I think he blew a tire twice in the zone, and it was just like, oh, poor Eric. Well, honestly, after the second Talbot goal, sorry, the second goal on Talbot by Mayer, and the third goal by Nieto, Ottawa, they were done. And having a goalie give up three goals on seven shots will do that. Yeah, I mean that's when the when the sharks scored on the first shot, that was deflating right there. It was just like, oh, it's going to be one of those games, is it? And kudos to the kudos to Stutzla for tying it up before the first was over. Yeah, and Timmy Stu had the lone goal for the Sens, like I mentioned, on five shots. Could have easily had two in this game. That was the other thing is uh, a goalie that had been just having absolute terrible game gave up four terrible time gave up four goals in the previous two games each post to 0.97 like this is one of those games where you just look at it you're like okay that happened because otherwise 
the Stutzla Kachuk Batherson line was dominant. Sanderson had a fantastic game. So did Branstrom. The rest of the team really wasn't there. Yeah. Now, sorry, side point here, Tim. You know how we were talking about the outdoor game jerseys during the top of the hour? Yep. You know the one, and you know me, I'm a sucker for the Sens, the, the, the old jerseys. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of low-key liking those Shark jerseys from the outdoor game they played in. If I'm being honest with you. Yeah, I'm still not, I'm still not jiving with the teal helmet. No, it's a black helmet. Okay, they played the last game with the teal helmet. The Sens yeah. game, they played with a teal helmet, and that was weird. I don't like, I don't yeah. like that. Okay. No, no, that's a good, that's a very valid, sorry, I thought you were talking about the picture. No, that's a very valid point. I mean, honestly, when I look at those shark uniforms, they have a making of a very classic-looking shark jersey. There's too much teal. The pants should have been black. I think the helmet should have been black myself or at least a very darker shade because it's it just it clashes because you know me i love the og shark jerseys from the early yeah. 90s and these ones that they're using now it's it's okay it's a bit mono color like add some purple or something yeah that'd be interesting i mean and i did see a picture of the sharks that were using their seal jersey i think yesterday really feeling them to be perfectly yeah. honest I like the idea behind it. It's again going back to what we were saying when the jerseys were first announced. They're a jersey that in the the concept was good. The execution was just kind of yeah. It's the way she goes, right? Yeah. So the only other comment I gotta make on this game, Tim, which arena has the worst camera angle? San Jose or Florida? San Jose. It's yeah. just weird. Because you know what it looks, you know what it actually reminds me of, Tim? Remember back in the day with the, the old school NHL games that EA used to put out? You, you could fuck with the camera angles. It has that one camera angle where it's not like it. How do I describe this? You're kind of looking almost like like that down. Yeah, it's like. It just doesn't feel. And then like the camera when they change the angle because they have to to get any good view of the offensive zone. It's like, it is a little jarring. Yeah. Florida. I don't mind Florida's though. Florida's is not. Yeah, it's fine. It's lower than a lot of teams. I'll give it that, but it's not so high up like San Jose, but San Jose has, they've got to have one of the older arena, oldest arenas now in the NHL. So I think the SAP center, I think I was built in 93. 92, 93? Yeah. Well, yeah. When... Yeah, because like the other expansion teams from that era, the Bolts had an adventure. And Otto played the Civic Center until uh, Corral, Canadian Tire, whatever you want to call it, Scotiabank opens. Yeah. Although at least we didn't play in a baseball stadium like the Lightning did. Yeah. I would love to talk to somebody who actually attended one of those games in the in Tropicana Field. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be such a weird experience because I think the Lightning, oh, I know the Lightning still hold the record for the largest attendance for an NHL playoff game. I think it was like 30-something thousand people. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, 
Let's move our attention to the second game of the episode. Sens versus Golden Knights. This is a four to one Vegas victory. The lone scout so the lone sense goal were scored by Jake Sanderson with his first NHL goal. Gold Knights goals were Gold Knights goals were scored by Mark Stone, William Carrier, William Carlson, and Jack Eichel. Shots were 40-36 for Ottawa. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mark Stone opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Vegas from the slot. Jake Sanderson scores his first NHL goal to tie the game at 1. William Carrier scores to make it 2-1 Vegas. William Carlson scores with a beauty spinner on a backhand top corner to make it 3-1. And Jack Eichel scores on the empty net to make it 4-1 Vegas, which would be the final. So, you know, after that Sharks game, Tim, Sen's Twitter was just, oh, they were not happy. And I made a conscious effort that day when we played Gold Vegas. I made a conscious effort to stay off of Twitter, which is always good for our mental health. Uh-huh. And I made the decision to not watch this game. I instead watched AEW that night. It was great. No regrets. Honestly, the Senders played great. Frankly, they were the better team. Thompson put up a 0.97 again. And he stole quite a few goals from the Senators, including two beauties from Brady Kachuk. Like this game easily could have been an Ottawa win. So what you're saying is that despite the score, I could have watched this game and actually been happy with it. Yeah, like a lot of Vegas's offense just came from either that really good individual efforts by William Carlson and Carrier or just a very strong power play that let Mark Stone get into the slot and score because that's what he's he do good. And they also gave Vegas five power plays, which uh, you know how that goes. Yeah, but uh, huge issue for us. Yeah, Ottawa carried the play at five on five for pretty much the whole game, and it was frustrating to watch because it's like watching the sen like the Senators they kept with they really did keep with Vegas the whole game, and at no point did I think that they ever really disappeared. Uh, Sanderson getting that beautiful goal. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, Jake Sanderson got his first NHL goal on two shots. And the crazy thing for me, I watched this on the condensed version. He easily, again, like Stutzla against the Sharks, he almost had two in this game. Yeah. Yeah, just both of his efforts on the net were very nice. Now, the only other player I want to talk about from this game, Tim, was Cam Talbot. 32 saves, a .914 save percentage. I always play the devil's advocate, but this is one of these games where, honestly, he got beat clean. Yep. None of these goals were bullshit. I mean, Mark Stone from the slot, you're not going to stop that. The Carlson one where he did the spinorama backhand, it's just like, how are you supposed to get that? Yeah, no. The only one that was a little questionable was Carrier. He could have had a bit better positioning, but other than that, it happens. Otherwise, the Sens were playing great. The uh, Branstrom zoo pairing was dominant. The only the only real comment outside of the players that I can make about this game with the Golden Knights is that former third-line plug guest Adam Copeland from the Zoocast flew down to Vegas for the game. Oh, nice. And he actually got met. I don't want to say he got mentioned, but they caught him on the breakaway video. Oh, neat. So we knew him when he was famous. <laughs> 
and also I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, I think Pan and Canuck from the Sense Cults were down there too. So I believe they went. Yeah, I think they hug out with Bruce for a bit. Yeah. Okay, can I quickly talk about Bruce Garriock, Tim? Yeah. Because, you know, and we've talked about this in the past, but people will go out of their way to send comments to him, trying to get him to get, try to get him to block them. Yeah. It's stupid, it's immature, it's whatever. So I won't mention the person's name. Bruce made a tweet about, I can't remember what it was about, but it, but he mentioned a comment in the, like in the replies. Oh, who's your... What did he? I'm trying to remember what he said. He said, "What was your source or whatever?" And, and this person says, "Your mom," and he responded with, "My mom's been dead for 20 years. I think of her every day. Have some class." And I was like, "Oh, oh, hmm." I mean, that person kind of deserved it. I'm yeah. being honest. It's Honestly, like, yeah, you know what? And you know, in the future, I would like love to have Bruce Garriock on the show, and I would love to ask him if he's up for it. I would love to ask him about stuff like this. Whether it's on the air or off the record, I would love to ask him because you've got to think, look, and we said in the past, you can disagree with Bruce Garriock. You can think whatever you want. You don't have to go out of your way to tweet him. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Don't be a dick. It's like between him and Sean Simpson, it's just like, if you don't agree with their comments, do what we do. Just disagree with it and don't tweet them and move on. As I do say about Simmer, he does go out of his way to invite controversy. So that's true. He's like he's like Matt, like Mark Mathog. Meth yeah. is the same way nowadays. Apparently, there's beef between him and Bosty, but that's not the point not here or there. Yeah, exactly. So let's move our attention to the third and final game of the evening or afternoon, I should say. In this case, Sensors is Ducks. This is a five to one Senators victory. Sense goes were scored by Brady DeChuck, Derek Broussard, Tim Artem Zoo, and Matthew Joseph. And the lone duck score was scored by Max Jones. It's a made up name. Shots were 33 32 for the Senators. So, this is a game that, well, I can't say that I condensed it. Because I technically did. I did get a chance to watch a little bit of this game at work. Yeah. If my managers are listening, I wasn't listening, watching this at work at all. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, even though it was the Ducks, the Sens needed this win. I think if we had lost to Anaheim, yeah. Things would have happened. Our season would have been fucked. It's already fucked right now, but it would have been so beyond fucked at that point. It's like, fuck, we can't even beat Anaheim. I think that probably would have been uh, when... Pierre pulled the trigger on the extreme measures. He would have had to. He would have had to do something at this point because it's like lose. You lost to the dead last Anaheim Ducks. It's like yeah, okay, you could lose to Vegas because Vegas is loaded and against the Sharks. I mean, yeah, you didn't play great in the second third period, but you lose to Anaheim. It's like ooh, yeah. This was a game though where like. At the start, neither team really came out with any energy. Like, it was a noon game on the West Coast. Like, just weird stuff. And Anaheim got their legs under them a little bit, but Cam Talbot held them in. And then Brady Kachuk and Derek Broussard get two quick goals with quite possibly one of the nicest power play setups I've seen out of this Sens team in a very long time. 
And then it's just all sends for the rest of it until the fifth goal goes in and Ottawa just kind of coasts to the victory. Did you see the Anaheim goal? No, I didn't actually. So there's a first shot and the Anaheim player in the crease is actually standing on Cam Talbot's pads, which allows Mar- Max Jones to just fire into an empty cage. DJ Smith challenges it for goaltender interference and the league says, no, that's not goaltender interference. So Cam Talbot is literally laying on the ice. There's a player standing on his pad, preventing him from getting up. How is that not goaltender interference? And the player is in the crease. How the fuck is that not goaltender interference? I'm not sure. And honestly, if I got a chance to see the play, I could have commented on it, but I got nothing really to say about it. So, Like, I think that that's between the, like, that's such an egregious call. And a similar call was made against, against Connor Hellebuck, which allowed, uh, which forced the Winnipeg to go to overtime. But Winnipeg ended up winning the game, so it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm just mad that that's what cost Cam Talbot a shutout that he deserved. Like, just obvious bullshit that shouldn't have counted. Sorry, yeah, that's what allowed Dallas to tie it up and force overtime. But, yeah, no, that goal should not have counted. And, like, I really don't understand what the goaltender, what the rules for goaltender interference are anymore. Yeah, and it's a shame that it counted because Cam Talbot had 31 saves, a point nine six nine, nice <laughs> save percentage. Honestly, it's a shame he didn't get the shutout in this one because I watched the condensed game and he looked fantastic. Oh, yeah. It was a game that Cam Talbot definitely needed after that shaky performance in San Jose that ended up getting him pulled and a pretty good but not inspiring in for- performance in Vegas. So this was great to see from Cam Talbot. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got two players I want to talk about, Tim. Now, I'm going to let you choose. Brady or Stutzla? Which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's do Brady. Okay. So Brady Detroit had one goal and eight shots. Now, I could comment on the goal because it was a classic Brady goal. I want to actually talk a little bit about the fight he had at the end of the second period because Jake Sanderson got hit from behind, a play which I hate. I hate. You know me. Two plays I hate. Hits from yeah. behinds and knee on knees. I hate both of them. They suck. I bullshit, whatever. I love the fact that Brady stepped up and fought him right then and there. Oh, and beat the shit out of him? Yeah. Like, yeah, no. Leaders lead. And that was such a gutless, late, not needed hit. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad that Sanderson's okay. Oh, totally. I mean, it, I totally agree with you. It's such a gutless play. Because honestly, why do you have to hit a guy from behind? Especially when he's not up against the boards. He was a good, what, seven, eight feet away? Yeah. He's closer to the goal line than he was the boards. Yeah. I'm honestly surprised that, well, it's like Ryan Strom, I was almost worried that he wasn't going to get the penalty at first. But yeah, that was, it was a gutless play by Ryan Strom, and I hope he gets fined for it, honestly. And is that... That he, shit shouldn't be fine, in the game. Though. If he gets fined, I hope there's some sense involved. Because you know how. Yeah, I know how I know how we do it. Yeah. Now, with Timmy Stu, I mean, Stutzla had the lone goal on a lone shot. But I want to comment on, I want to say it was one of the power plays Ottawa played on. That Josh Norris-style one-timer that hit the post. It was so perfect. But, like, Ottawa ended up getting it on the next power play. 
Mm-hmm. I do want to actually, sorry, I was when talking about the uh, Anaheim Arena, and you know, we were talking about the Qatar World Cup earlier. And you said some of those games look empty. That game looked kind of empty in Anaheim. I understand it's a holiday weekend because you had America Thanksgiving on Thursday, Black Friday was Friday. But still, I mean, I understand it's Anaheim. The Ducks yeah. are not good. The Ducks are just kind of whatever. But you would think on a holiday weekend, you would have had more people going to the games. Was there an NFL game that day? Because I know there was a there was the big games on Thursday, and uh, that Bills game was great. The Bills Detroit Lions game, holy! Oh, the where uh, the Lions had the lead, and then they just gave the ball back with like forty seconds left. Yeah, that was incredible. I don't think they no. Actually, you know what? I don't know if there was games being played on Friday. Because uh, they had the college games on. No, they didn't. Right. Thursday they played because Friday was all the college games. Right. Okay. Well, college ball, dude. You did UCLA have a game or? Uh, I think UCLA had a game. Yeah. Well, we're... is you see it? Is UCLA near Anaheim? No, but like that is the big team in the area. It is. I would have assumed USC. Or oh, sorry, USC. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, because I know uh, my sister and her boyfriend live down there, so I'm kind of... Yeah, but you were saying UCLA. I was like, I don't think UCL. I think UCLA is kind of like the other team in that in that city because you have UC, USC. Uh, there was a uh, UCLA play... UCLA no. football played California. No, same. Even on Friday, yeah. there were no games. From what I'm seeing. NCAA. All the games, I think, were today. Okay, weird. Yeah, uh... Uh, you know what? I kind of wish that I was more into college football because honestly, a lot of those games seem like they would be a really cool experience to go to. Yeah. Like even uh, that tailgate fan video I saw a couple of years ago where they were down in Florida or Georgia, where the hell they were. And they, the guy had the alligator on a spit. <laughs> would you, okay. I wonder what, what alligator would taste like. I'm very curious. I'm going to guess like chicken. Yeah, because like Ben, my supervisor, he used to be a chef in Vancouver and he and I got talking about this. And I said, you know, I would be tempted to try alligator. And he said to me, he says, you know what? Honestly, if you go to a restaurant and they put human on the menu, not in, not in a weird cannibal sort of way. But if you had like a cube. And you didn't tell them what the hell it was. They probably would eat it. Yeah. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer's rolling his grave going, fuck! No. But no, alligator. <laughs> alligator would be interesting. I'd eat alligator, yeah. yeah. Let's see. Football. No, there were a bunch of games on Friday. Oh, yeah, there was a bunch of college ball on Friday. Okay, my phone was lying to me then. I looked up college football and, like, there was no games that came up. Yeah, US UCLA beat California. Uh NC State beat North Car- beat the Tar Heels. Nebraska beat I- Iowa. Missouri. Uh, Tim, isn't or isn't? Uh... Oh no, you said N- NC State, right? Yeah, the Tar Heels. Yeah. Okay. I, Got I... beat by NC State. Okay. Right. 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 Sorry, oh, Texas I... beat Baylor. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but it's like there's a lot of big games that yeah, I mean, on that Friday. The teams were playing yesterday. Pardon? The Cougars and the Huskies. Oh yeah. Yeah, Arizona versus Arizona State, Colorado State, New Mexico, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, 
yeah, there was some big games. Interesting. Yeah, and unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch any of those. But, you know, the only comment I got to make on American Thanksgiving is I was re-watching the episode of King of the Hill where Hank, Bill, Boomhauer, and Dale, they went to that uh, focus group for the lawnmower. Yeah. And so uh, Peggy and was talking to Hank about Black Friday. She goes, Black Friday, in my opinion, is the busiest shopping day of the year. And I will not spend another year giving Dallas Mavericks crap because all the Cowboy stuff was all sold out. That is such an underrated line in that episode because you got to realize where the fucking Mavericks were in the late 90s. This is like pre-Mark Cuban buying the Mavericks. (laughs) That's incredible. That's a show I'm so glad it's on Disney Plus now. Even though I have the entire series on my laptop, actually, you know what series I would like to see come to Disney Plus? Yeah. Because, you know, they have all some of those shows on there now. What about Bill Nye the Science Guy? Dude, if Bill Nye the Disney Science Guy. I guess Disney does own the rights to that. Yeah. If Bill Nye the Science Guy came on there, well, I mean, you, fuck you, every other streaming service. You don't have Bill Nye. Yeah, fair. Yeah. I guess a quick question. Was Bill Nye really ever a thing in the UK when you were there or no? No. No. All I remember of Bill Nye when I was a kid watching those in science class was that they were teaching us about gravity and he was in the parking complex next to the kingdom. (laughs) Out of watermelon, he goes, so here's gravity. Now, gravity is when a thing falls. Watch, here's a watermelon. And he just drops a watermelon from the parking garage. Goes splat. He goes, a TV and he starts dropping shit. It's just like, can you imagine walking past that and there's fucking Bill and I up on the roof going, why is he dropping stuff? I mean, the man helped design the 747. He can do what he wants. I know. He's a real, he's like a real scientist or shit. Unlike those fake scientists from the Big Bang Theory. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, people with an, a PhD, it's in a hard science, will fight you on the point that engineers are not scientists. That that is a fun nerd fight to start. Well, I know it's like they have a BNG. It's not a BSc. It's different, and they will they they take that shit seriously. If if I want to be very spicy and I want to start a fight, I'll tell them that I have a BSc, therefore I am a scientist, and then that gets all people telling me that economics isn't a science and. It's just great for stirred shit. So yeah, telling people Bill Nye's a scientist will get get nerds fighting. Telling people that economists are citing scientists will get nerds fighting. Telling people political science is science will get nerds fighting. So basically, people just want to watch the world burn, is what you're saying. A little. Yeah. Or moreover, it's really easy to get nerds to fight. It's true. It's just like, hey, Star Trek's better than Star Wars. It's on. Yeah. I don't know. I never really got that into Star Trek, but that's not really the point, Tim. Do you want to start a nerd fight? I mean, I could, but I mean, <laughs> this episode would be like three hours long. <laughs> so, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games. If you want to head off to the close for another episode. Yeah, let's do her. Okay. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. 
You can also find us on Twitter at Third Line Plugs or Twitter handle. Tim is at M91 Honey Badger and Matt Great White Gipster, GR8 WATE Gipster. And we are also on Instagram at Third Line Plug. I'm actually starting to become more active there on Instagram with our page. And we're getting some great people following us and we're going to get some more posts going. So it's going to be good. Is it time for me to get an Instagram? You might have to, Tim. I mean, you might have to become an influencer on the old IG. Okay. As long as I don't have to post my feet. No, that's OnlyFans. Okay. So for this upcoming week, Tim, we've got four games on the schedule. Tomorrow night, we're going to be in L.A. to be the L.A. Kings. Wednesday, we're back home to play the New York Rangers. Friday, we are in Madison Square Garden to play the New York Rangers. And Saturday, we return home to play Eric Carlson and the San Jose Sharks. Nice. It's not too bad. Not too bad. I'd like to wonder if the boys went out for a couple pops last night so they're ready to go for practice. Or Let's go. Yeah. Although they are practiced. I think they practiced today in um, no, is it El Segundo? Or Segundo? Is it just Segundo or El Segundo? El Segundo, these nuts. Yeah. <laughs> You're terrible, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> we're the we're the Kings practice. I think it's El Segundo. And I know that because they have a brewery there that Stone Cold Steve Austin's beer is made out of. Nice. Yeah. I will have to try and find his beer when I'm in the States next time in January. Stone yeah, Cold go for it. And I because Katrina and I are making more more drinks now, I want to try and make a broken skull up. Not broken skull IPA, the um Broken Skull Margarita that he does. Right. Yeah. That white recipes online. I'll have to look try it out. So, hmm. until next week, guys. I am your host, Tula Gibson, and the Spin Tim Dancy. Go, Sam, Woo!